back everyone to Rogue Opinions. My name is Scott McLeod and this is our review of Night 2 of WrestleMania 36. This was the first time WrestleMania has been over two nights. Uh, me and Nathan reviewed Night 1. Uh, so hopefully if you're listening to this, you've already listened to that because or you listen to the review of Night 2 when you haven't listened to Night 1. That just doesn't make any sense. But much like WrestleMania, things don't really work out how you plan them because Nathan is not here. Uh, I think he's been partying a bit too hard after he and Jimmy's victory, so he won't be able to join me for this Night 2 review. But uh, I've drafted in someone else to help me a substitution, much like there were many all on the card for WrestleMania 36. He's, uh, I like to say he's kind of like the uh, the Austin Theory to my Angel Garza kind of stepping in at the last minute, but I don't think that'd be too accurate. I'm joined by Carl. Oh, hi. Hello, everybody. Hi, Scott. Yeah, it's more like Braun stepping in for Roman when everyone was hoping for Matt Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy to have you, man. Now, as I said, me and Nathan talked quite in depth about Night 2, at least in depth about the matches we actually cared about but we went about two hours talking about that before we get into night two uh, briefly what were you how would you sum up your thoughts of night one i really enjoyed night one um uh, i thought i thought the opener started off okay perhaps went on a bit too long maybe if they'd have shaved five minutes off uh off that match it, it would have been better um i had no interest at all in Baron Corbin Elias, so I sort of skipped skipped through that one. It was pretty much what I expected. Um, I, I enjoyed Shayna and uh, Becky. I know a lot of people seem to have criticised that match, but I liked it. It was it was hard hitting. Um, I wasn't surprised by Becky winning. I saw that a mile off. I don't understand why nobody else could. But there you go. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I think it might have been better for Shayna to have had a dominant win, take Becky away for a little while, and then bring her back to build her up to finally beat Shayna at a, a later pay per view. But I can see why they'd keep her on the, the title on. That's just still quite over. Her merchandise is still selling shed loads, so it, it makes sense. Um, yeah. Me and, me and Nathan talked about that in a lot of depth, the, uh, like our thoughts on the idea of Shayna not winning. We talked about that for a while before talking about the actual match itself. Uh, we weren't really on board with Shayna losing. You can hear more about that in the Night One review if you haven't listened to it. But yeah, it, just, it really baffled me because, like you said, I wasn't interested in the first two matches. And then the Becky Shea match, it really felt like the night was picking up. There were some really good counters in that. And yeah, I think... It would benefit a lot, Shane, a lot, and I think it would benefit Becky to ever lose the belt. And, you know, I usually do think, let's see how things play out, but this is just one of the results where I was like, I am not happy about this. Yeah, I think they could have saved it by letting Baszler beat Becky up after the match rather than just hold her head in her hands. That does worry me. I mean, she's not young and pretty like Vince likes them, so. Maybe she, you know, maybe she's just not going to reach the top on, uh, I still call it main roster, to be honest. And I still think it is kind of. So we'll just have to see. But she lost to Ember Moon in the first match and then won the rematch. But upon losing, she was allowed to give Ember a good thrashing. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too sure that's going to go. But I, you know, I think I think Sheena's. I don't. I know. I don't think Sheena's boring, like a lot of people say. I think she's got a good move set. I think she's she's quite snug. I mean, those kicks they sound so stiff when they connect, but you know, she's never hurt anybody like Ronda and Nia. So I think she's more than competent in the ring. Yeah, I think so too. And I heard people like making that comparison, the uh, the Ember Moon thing, but. Shayna had came in like officially to NXT a couple months before that, and she hadn't really dominated that many people. She took him out like Dakota Kai and Kyrie Sane to kind of establish her as a threat to Ember. The thing was, Ember was kind of still early into her reign, and the whole thing with Shayna was maybe her first like major test as champion. But Becky, on the other hand, has been champ for over a year, and in the process of building Shayna up, you basically had her kill any potential like challengers she would have had on Raw like once she won the, won the title. So the, you have all that and then have her lose. It's like it's the idea of doing more harm than good that really just, uh, doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, I know I get that point and I do I do you do wonder then if she can beat Shane even if it was a, a kind of lucky victory in a sense. Then then who who next? Maybe it's gonna be maybe Naya. You know, they seem to they always seem to be high on Naya because of a connection. So maybe she'll be the one to to beat Becky. Yeah, as I said to Nathan, like it was also the way they did the finish because you know about how Ember beat her, Ember beat her in the exact same way Becky did, and I believe Carrie saying when she won the title won in a similar fashion. So actually, actually, Ember was slightly different. It was from a it was from an arm bar she counted, and she sort of folded Shayna up in a di- in a different way. I mean, yeah, similar that she reversed did a reversed um a submission hold, but it was it was slightly different. Yes, Kyrie Sane did beat her in a similar way, the same yeah. fashion. But it didn't look it also didn't look like um Becky put a, a lot of pressure on the pin either. Uh, if you've watched Bret Hart do it, Stone Cold <laughs> and and Piper, um he, you know, he really looked like he was pressing down and stopping him from going anywhere, whereas uh, I'm not sure Becky really did a good job at that, personally. Yeah, it's just that I knew I'd seen that finish before. It was kind of thing, like, you'd think of how they built Shane up and how dominant she in both NXT and in their brief time on the main roster, that she would learned, like, how to counter and not lose like that, because she's lost that way a few times. And hard not kind of learning from it kind of makes her look foolish. Yeah, but they they sort of go on the way that most of their fans, especially the casuals, aren't watching NXT. So mm. um, they kind of work on that theory that a lot of people won't have seen it before. But we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, you, we all know I'm a massive Shayna fan. I'd have loved her to win. So maybe I'm just trying to sort of. Um, Sort of work out in my mind so I don't go mad. <laughs> but yeah. I might get, I might not get all the matches in the right order because I didn't rewatch really night one. So I know we had the ladder match for the tag titles. That was very unusual. Uh, tag titles up for grabs on, um, on, on in the sing sort of you know single competitors. Um, I thought it was a good match. I enjoyed it. I liked the finish. I've always wondered what would happen. In like a tag ladder match, if two people from opposing teams grab the belt each at the same time, 
would you have to declare those two tag team champions if 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 I'm making sense? I'd love them to try that finish just to see what what would happen one day because it's something they haven't done yet. Yeah, interesting. I really enjoyed the limit. Me and Nathan talked about it as probably the match of the night for night one, and like I liked the finish. Yeah, like, I did because it was a new, it was kind of unique. Because uh, you don't really see that kind of finish, you see like heels are often like retaining titles because of like getting really lucky. And I think it was the right decision given that Miz wasn't there, so like ha- you know you can have people defend the tie titles on their own against a team, but having the tie titles change hands in a singles match might be a bit too confusing. So I think that's why Dari held. I think still think like the Usos will probably win the tie titles, but I think this. Because other than New Day, it's all they really got on down for Miz and Morrison. So, yeah, you you know, like they're probably holding off for the Miz to be able to come back. Yeah, um, the tag team division does seem a bit thin on both programs, and it's even thinner now. Uh, we might as well mention because it's happened today um, that the revival have got their release, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So, where where do you expect revival to go? Well, I know like the instant reaction is AEW because Young Bucks are there and the old FTR thing's been going on for for a number of years. But you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them like if maybe they can do like a couple of different places. But I would actually wouldn't mind seeing them in, in the NWA because you know they they've had to suspend off all their shows in the NWA. But you know, once they start again, their first big show back will be to do the Crockett Cup because they were planning on rescheduling it to about June some point. And the Crockett Cup's all about uh, a tournament surrounded by tag teams. So I have the Revival there, whose whole thing is being purely about tag team wrestling, even though WWE weren't really fans, didn't see the fans, though Vince wasn't, then I think it's the best place for them to really reestablish themselves. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to having a stint in NWA for six months or so. Yeah, do the Crockett Cup and then turn up in... AEW at some point because there are some good matches to to be had there against as you say Young Bucks, um, Jurassic Express, SCU and Lucha Brothers, and they're all matches that I'd like to I'd like to see happen. Yeah, I remember somebody asked me like if you could see them like if it with anybody in AEW and like form some sort of trio, who would it be? And I said like what might seem weird at first, passage, but then with Sean Spears because he's managed by Tully Blanchard, and because people have drawn comparisons to the Revival and uh, Tully Blanchard's team with Arn Anderson, so to then have Tully managing the Revival, I think would be very interesting. Yeah, actually, it's not a bad shout, and I think Sean Spears had a, a good show in this week as well uh, against Cody, so... Um... You might be on a bit of a revival, you never know. <laughs> Pond, <laughs> Pond, not, Pond was not intended, actually. <laughs> That's good. But, uh, yeah, I also enjoyed uh, Seth versus um, KO. That was night one, wasn't it? I am getting mm-hmm. I am getting it right. I, did, I enjoyed that. I like the way Seth tried to take a cheap way out with the DQ. And um, Owens demanded that the match got restarted. Um, and they had a, under no DQ rules. He had a good bit of a brawl with Owens finishing him off with um, like an elbow. Was it was it an elbow or a splash from the from the bit of staging they had? I believe it was a, a frog splash. But yeah, it was 
that that was pretty good. And and Owen sort of beat Seth twice, basically, which which was good. I think that's uh, that's the result we all wanted and needed. And it'd be nice to see where sort of Seth goes from there, really, without his minions and and whatnot. So yeah, I'm intrigued by that. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the most surprising result of the night is probably, you mentioned Braun earlier, Braun actually beating Goldberg. Uh, yeah, I don't think I was surprised by it. Um, Goldberg was uh, only there for a couple of matches, so, you know, he he was going to be going after Mania, so they had to put the belt on someone. I, I mean, I, I know Vince likes his big men, but with Braun losing in the last pay-per-view, even though it was two, three men. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if he was in the right position to be Universal Champ, but I'm sure it'll find its way onto Roman soon enough when he can come when he can come back to work. But would you who would you who would you have chosen for that spot? I don't really know who you can have other than Braun because you know, Braun was the IC champion, so they, they want to have him mm. in a prompt position, like, even though that whatever Mania comes around or whenever he's in a Universal title scenario, he always seems to fall short. So I remember when he got picked, there was a, I thought, well, he has to kind of win, otherwise that's him done. And so I don't know who else there was on, like, Sadden that they could have got. There was reports coming out in the days afterwards that at one point they thought about having Jeff Hardy come in to beat Goldberg. Yeah, I'm not sure you could have Jeff Hardy convincingly beat somebody like Goldberg. And nothing against Jeff Hardy, but uh, I think that would have been a harder pill to swallow. So, um, and every time you put a top belt on Hardy, he seems to go more off the rails. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we've seen him when he tries, we've seen the Fiend design his own belt. I mean, Jeff's got a history of design his own belts. God knows what he would have done to that title. <laughs> but yeah, bro, perhaps Braun was the. The best is the best and only choice, really. At the end of the day, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, WrestleMania 36 over both nights is a weird enough mania as it is, but the idea of having Goldberg versus Jeff is like a WWE like universe mode match that you play on one of the 2K games. And going back, another another thing I'd like to bring up about uh, Shane of this is Becky. Were you, were you surprised about where it was, where it was put on the card? Yeah, we we talked about this last night that because I heard reports that this might have, that may have been that it was might have been the main event or it was talked about. And I think it was of high enough standing that it could have been the main event. And then when it wasn't, I was kind of disappointed. But I thought, oh, like putting a marquee match in the, like the middle of uh, the card is fair enough because I assumed that meant the Universal title was going to be the main event. But we'll talk probably about the Boneyard match in a second. But when once I seen that, I thought. Yeah, there's no way you could top putting this on. Like, this is the right choice for the main event because of just how batshit insane it was. Yeah. I, I was going to say maybe because they knew people would be disappointed in Shane and not winning. That's why they put it in. But, like, well, it's not, it's not as if you had fans in the building to boo the results. So, yeah, the, the, the placing is just confusing. Yeah, and especially with Becky going over as well, because I know they like the feel-good moments, but I would have thought they'd been higher on the card. It's weird, it's very divided, isn't it? Shayna's very much like Marmite, and <laughs> Becky seems to be the same at the moment as well. I mean, she's got her stands that are so sort of passionate, and Becky and Sasha stands, I don't want to offend anybody, but they're, they're so sort of passionate and over the top, and they don't think they should ever lose. Um 
but you know that's the nature of the game. You've got to you've got to lose at some point. And then you got the people who think Becky's had the title too long and she's got a bit boring and long in the tooth. Um, I'm still a Becky fan, but even I've got to admit she's not she's not quite as exciting as she was a year ago somehow. And I don't think that's necessarily Becky's fault. I just I just don't think she's been booked or presented uh, particularly well. They they do seem to. I don't know, they do seem to struggle with cool baby faces to WWE, don't they, somehow? Yeah, I mean, if it was in the main event then and Becky did win, I wouldn't have probably been as surprised. I probably wouldn't have expected it more because the idea of the feel-good ending at the end, but mm. because it was on so early, as Nathan pointed out, it kind of made you think that, okay, Shayna's going to win, and I didn't think it'd be a very long match, and it kind of wasn't, to be fair. But I thought it would have been a short match because of how dominant Shane was going to be. Like not as if she was going to like squash her, but like she was just going to like show how dominant she was and force Becky to take some time away before coming back. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see see where they go. And another surprise was they're still advertising Money in the Bank. So do we think they're still going to try and push ahead with that, even if we're still under some kind of lockdown? I think they're. They're being optimistic because there's all these like the lockdowns and the pandemics and things getting cancelled really started in mid March. So I think that's why they held out and then sent for Mania because they were hoping they would get it. But I think now they realise well if this is in May. I think they're being more hopeful that things will be calmer by then. But if it's not, I, I can see WWE just deciding to cancel money in the band because they come at the narrative for a lot of people was I can agree with it was in the up to Mania that. If this was any other show, if this was like a Money in the Bank or if we were building up to like Battleground, WWE wouldn't have like hummed and hawed about cancelling or postponed the show. They would have just done it. The only reason they went ahead with this was because it is WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, I I think they are being a bit overly optimistic, hoping to do a pay per view in May. But you never know. We'll, we'll have to see what see what happens. But you know, the the virus still seems to be peaking to me. So. Um, I think May might be a long shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we're, we're going to talk about a very unique match on this show, but uh, before we talk about that and the rest of the night too, Carl, what are your thoughts on the Boneyard match? I loved it. I thought it was different. <laughs> I loved I loved the fact that um, AJ Styles sort of came out in the hearse and was in the, the, the coffin. I love the fact we had Biker Taker. I've always preferred Dead Man Taker, but he, he, I mean, yeah, you know, um, well, yeah, Dead Man Taker, Undertaker Taker, <laughs> and Biker Taker. But no, you know, this was a cool iteration of that. Uh, Metallica theme music. It had a very sort of movie style um, sort of vibe to it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was it was different. It was it was good. I mean, Undertaker mostly dominated. To be honest, obviously the the OC got involved. We had those weird druids at one point, but yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I like the finish where AJ thought he had him in the in the grave, but then Undertaker appeared behind him, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean- you can tell like I enjoy it because if you've listened to Night or Night One review, me and Nathan kind of discussed about this match, and we'd even consider it for a match of the night because, as Nathan said, it was just so far beyond anything else. But you could barely be called a match, even though we loved it. And like I said to Nathan, it's the most I've enjoyed an Undertaker match 
in a, a long, long time. Yeah. And yeah, it's really. It was just like I don't know what else I can say that I didn't say on the night one review, but uh, it gave me a lot of faith for the funhouse match that we're going to talk about later on. And oh, I can't wait to get to that. Yeah, same here. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, I know it's, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but. I think at times like these, with no audience, why not try something different? And I'm glad they have. And I think they pulled it off really well. I don't want to go over ground you and Nathan have already gone over too much. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, I thought it was I thought it was excellent stuff, personally. Definitely. So, that's it. We'll get into night two, the, uh, the kickoff show, where there wasn't much to write home about. Uh, one, one thing I was interested in, really, was when they did the whole thing where they bring in the guys from backstage, like Renee and Booker, to talk about a match they choose. They have them talk the uh, the last man standing match, and they got Christian there uh, to give him the insight as kind of Edge's friend. And the kickoff match is a match that very home. It was like six minutes. Uh, Natalia versus Liv Morgan. It was it was an okay match. It was still random to see this as a pre-show match. Uh, Liv got the win because. Well, they, they seem to see things in love because they kept building up her return and then to do that thing with Lana that went nowhere and then seemingly our thing with Ruby Riot went nowhere because <laughs> they threw her with Natalia and the one thing I can really say about this match rather than just talk about the match itself because there isn't much to talk about the wrestling wise I'm pretty sure other than this there's only been one other women's singles match on Wrestlemania that hasn't been for a championship and apparently, I think that might be the Cat versus Terry from WrestleMania 2000 in a cat fight. That, that all-time classic. <laughs> with uh, one of them and Mae Young in their corner, the other had Fabius Miller. I can't remember who was with who. <laughs> I've tried to purge that from my memory, if I'm, if I'm quite honest. But yeah, um, this is better than that match. But as you say, nothing special. And yeah, I mean... We talked about Shane and not being Vince's cup of tea, but you can Liv Morgan is the archetypal Vince female wrestler, blonde, very attractive. She, you know, she's she's the sort of uh, female wrestler that's going to get a big push with with Vince around, definitely. I think so too. I mean, she she seems to come on a lot. And ring-wise, I don't know if that's new just because she's in there with Natalia, who's seen as someone who's basically kind of reliable. She's kind of the good hand in the the women's division. Like she's always kind of called upon when they need somebody like, to like get given a strong match. So you know, but of credit to love me, it's not as if she can like go and ring. She's not the she's not exactly like a Charlotte Flair or someone like that. But for what, for as long as she's been doing, I think she's improved quite a bit. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen improvements from her as well. And whether she, I don't think she can reach the sort of standards of uh, your Baileys and Sashes, but I, I definitely, I definitely see improvement there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we move into the main show. It's basically the same as the night one. We have Stephanie introducing the show, giving basically the same speech as night one. What I did like was the way she says, "Welcome back to WrestleMania 36." Like. As if it's the latest episode in a TV show. Like, yeah. I want her just to open it up like, Hi, I'm Stephen McMahon. Here we remember from such shows as last night's edition of WrestleMania. Like, go full, full Troy McClure. 
And what do you think of that opening package segmenty thing? Because I think I'm on my own with not really, not really liking it, to be honest. Oh no, I didn't like it either. But you know, we're talking about. Well, I was more annoyed with it on night two because basically they didn't do anything different. No, they didn't. Did the exact same package, and I said to Nathan on about night one, like all this like pirate theme stuff, like. As soon as they moved away from Raymond James Stadium, away from the pirate ship, none of this made any sense. I think they just done like a pirate theme with your your normal sort of serious voiceover. It'd probably been more enjoyable, but they tried to do it tongue in cheek with that com- comedy guy going, "No, no, wait, let's let's do it like this." Like they're trying to trying to be knowingly tongue in cheek, and I just it came off more annoying than anything else. I thought. Yeah, because like, you kind of like your grand video package, especially for me, because especially when people were going at this show kind of with low expectations, you want a good video package can really get you hyped up for yeah. the show. And this just really put more people off, if anything. But I've seen a lot of people on my Twitter feed seem to really like it, so I started to think I was on my own in uh, not really liking that, but, but there you go. Yeah, you know, but it's all about like the order of matches. Something that I actually thought when they announced two nights, I thought they would have had this match main event night one, as it would allow both Rumble winners to kind of have their own like main event. But we opened night two with Charlotte Flair challenging Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, this went about twenty minutes. Honestly, I could have watched them go on a bit longer if anything, because I really enjoyed this. Like right out of the gates on night one, they had. A potential like match of the weekend, I think. Yeah, um, excellent match. And from a purely technical and wrestling based um, perspective, it probably was the best the best match of the weekend for me. Um, obviously, I put it behind Boneyard and Firefly Funhouse for different reasons, but from <laughs> a purely wrestling standpoint, this, this was uh, this was the best for me. And yeah, it showed why perhaps Charlotte is one of the best female wrestlers working today. It was really good stuff. And um, I like the story they told of Charlotte working on uh, Rhea's knee, mm-hmm. which, yeah. led, uh, um, which led to the, the victory with the, uh, the figure eight. Were you surprised by the outcome? I kind of was and wasn't. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the match a bit before we talk the result. Yeah. And the, the match, you noticed very early on, Ripley within the first minutes hits the riptide, but it doesn't look like she gets Charlotte all the way up, and I think that was intentional, and that she doesn't get all of her finisher, so Charlotte kicks out, and then after that flurry, a lot of it is Charlotte on on the offense because of the knees, because everything that Ripley does affects the knee even more. Yeah, it is, it is a very similar style that some people pointed out on Twitter. It is a very similar style that Rick would probably work in a lot of his big matches, and that he would take like the early flurry from the face but then find a body part, usually the light, to work up to the figure four, and that would be the story of like the match. And it worked really well here. I know, like, I want to, like, credit the, the selling every year. I know a lot of people kind of started using our selling as a meme with the, like, the noises she was making to sell the knee. Like, somebody said, I had to mute this because I didn't want to think my neighbours... I didn't want my neighbours to think <laughs> I was watching it at half twelve at night. <laughs> That's the thing, that's what you get. Without the crowd, the, the noises the athletes make uh, are amplified tenfold at least. I mean, she would be making those noises during a match if 
if you were selling, but with a crowd, you wouldn't notice it quite as much. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte goes for the moonsault, but Ripley avoids it. I was wondering, watching this, who is who has hit the moonsault less successfully in their career? Charlotte or Kurt Angle? <laughs> I think probably Kurt Angle. I'm pretty sure I've seen Charlotte hit it once or twice. And, but I, might, I could be imagining that. <laughs> yeah, my, my brother asked yeah, that question. He pointed out that maybe it's intentional that she never really hits it because much like Rick... He his whole thing was every time he seemed to go over the top rope, the the wrestler his opponent would would grab him and kind of throw him off the top rope before he could do anything. So maybe it's kind of her like her version of that, and that mm. she hits the move but then actually connects it. I mean, I've heard like heels say that they like to sort of grind their repertoire a bit more when they're working heel because moves like that tend to get a big pop, and they only mm. sort of bring it out. Um, on a really big match or if their opponent are going to get the knees up or roll out the waist. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's probably why she does miss it, does miss it a lot. Um, it's like um, her dad, he, he never had much success when he tried to go up onto the, the ropes, did he? No. Uh, the thing with Ripley is that, especially since like War Games and Survivor Series, she's been really... And NXT have been very much behind her as like the champion, and that was the thing going at this that you wondered how much faith they had in, in her. Like, are they going to put over Charlotte? Because like, there were three camps. Uh, my friend Paul kind of pointed that there are three camps going into this match. There are people who are very much behind Ripley and want her to win, don't want Charlotte to win. There are people who really like Charlotte and want her to win, and there are people who don't want Charlotte to win but are kind of on the fence in that. Well, how can she not win? And that because of how she's presented, and Ripley is still fairly new, and that was kind of the camp I was in. And that uh, I predict, we predict, me and Paul predicted Ripley to win, and Nathan and Jimmy predicted Charlotte. And I had a feeling they probably would predict Charlotte, but that was the whole thing. This was one of the ones that you were, a lot of people were divided on because it probably could have gone either way, more so than the Shayna match, because everybody was the tech was convinced it has to be Shayna that goes over. So when Charlotte locked in the figure eight, more, more she bridged back and everything they'd done with the knee and the lead up to it, even though I had Ripley, I was like, I can't see a way out of this. And like Ripley tapped out. And as annoyed as I was, because I thought Ripley was maybe a sure thing eh, in predictions-wise, it kind of made sense with the story they told in the match. Yeah, I was pretty confident Charlotte was going to win. Uh, I like both women. I wasn't going to be... Um... Angry, whoever whoever won this, really. Perhaps, perhaps it's got Rhea's. You know, I'd like to see Rhea have a bit of a longer reign, consider considering you know who she defeated to win that title, one of the most dominant champions in recent memory in any division, and in Shayla Bay's. So I think perhaps she deserved to hold it a bit longer. But as soon as they announced the match, you know, Charlotte, Charlotte, and I had a feeling she was gonna she was gonna take the gold. And her move has got to be one of the most protective in the business. I don't think anybody's managed to get out of the, the figure eight as far as I can think of. Yeah, I don't I don't really recall many people getting out of it either. Now, Charlotte did in, in an interview shortly after this that her and Ripley had really only scratched the surface. So I think long term, this is going to lead to a feud that will eventually lead to Ripley getting the belt back and beating Charlotte because... 
they had Io Shirai win the ladder match on NXT. Yeah. So Charlotte's going to be, be sticking around at least for a while to kind of give NXT a boost, maybe ratings-wise against AEW. So they've you've got Charlotte sticking around for a while. You've got to get Harvey Eo, which, again, talk about Minsults. You know, you've got a fight of Minsults between those two. And you're going to have or probably rematch for Ripley. So booking-wise, you can see why Dewey did it. But something I've, I've thought is, I think people are a lot more forgiving and Shayna losing to Becky than they are Ripley losing to Charlotte because of how Charlotte's been presented, how many titles she's won. A lot of people have gotten sick of her. Whereas even though I think Becky kind of got stale over this last year, like I think we're in the rumble time is where I kind of lost interest in Becky. But I think because Becky still has a lot of, like you said, a lot of people who are still fans of her, people are more like willing to forgive Becky winning than they are Charlotte winning because at this point everybody thinks she's so overpushed. Yeah, uh, I, do, I, I do get why people think Charlotte's overpushed. She, she does win a lot. It sort of started at... Uh, WrestleMania 34, when um, she beat when she beat Asuka, perhaps you know that was that turned out to be a bad decision for for both women. Maybe if Asuka had won that, we wouldn't be talking about Charlotte being so over pushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you wonder how far in advance they were thinking about this because there are these rumours that Ripley uh, has to go back to Australia because of visa issues, but she says she's still in America. But apart, but really knowing the lockdown, I don't think even if she had to go back to Australia, I don't think she could go back yet because you know, like travel in and out of the US is kind of is kind of not allowed at the moment. So I think once everything goes back to normal, probably we'll have to go back to Australia if these issues are true. So I think they'll hold off on her and Charlotte getting a rematch. But like I think, given having Charlotte in NXT, I think as soon as they thought this idea was a possibility, I think. Debbie were keen to put the belt on Charlotte because she's held it before and she can, you can have her kind of do the whole thing with the four horsemen like I set the foundations for this division and now she's kind of back to take on this new crop of, of women you can get some really good matches out of mm. it I think you could even build uh, Charlotte versus Shayna if you wanted to because you've got Shayna the only other two time holder of the NXT title so there's a bit of a story you could you could tell there if you wanted to go that way yeah, definitely. I think other than Asuka, Charlotte is the only person to hold both versions of the NXT Women's Day, like both the two different like designs. Oh, right, yeah. Because uh, I remember Asuka's brain went for so long that they changed the belt design while she was still champion, whereas Charlotte won it back way back in the day. But yeah, I really enjoyed... Like, I, I'm very interested to see where they go. Because as they said on Raw, Charlotte is still technically billed as a Raw superstar. So I don't know how regularly she'll be appearing on Raw and NXT. Uh, I don't think she'll be like a Brock Lesnar thing in NXT. I think she'll show up on NXT a lot more often than than Lesnar would on like weekly TV. But I'm just very interested to see what happens because they are still technically building her as a Raw superstar and not at the moment an NXT star, even though she is an NXT champion. It will be interesting, and it'll be it'll be sick. That match between her and Neo—that that's going to be that's going to be some match, and maybe they'll surprise us and put the title straight on Neo. I, I can't I can't see it, but maybe if Triple H has more of a hand on on booking it, if it's on the next team, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Maybe yeah, the only reason I could see them putting the bill on Neo is 
there were the rumours that like Stardom were trying to wear back to coming over to Japan and if they thought that it was a real risk of her leaving, that's the only real reason I could see them putting the belt on her right now. But there was somebody else I thought was going to get a shot at Charlotte for the title, but uh, I think there was other plans for them, but we'll talk about that person later on. Yeah, I think I, I, think, I, think, I think I know who you might mean. So from that match, we move on to what basically feels like a match that you put on at the end of the, the first hour of Raw, but somehow ends up on WrestleMania. We had Alistair Black versus Bobby Lashley, accompanied by Lana. Now, actually, was I was hoping for this match to be kind of the maybe a sleeper hit match, and that you know Lashley's got that legit MMA background, and Black with his style of wrestling. I thought those two could mesh really well, and they did do some decent stuff, like Black getting caught in the outside with the overhead suplex and that. But I think it really felt because it was only like seven minutes. The real, its only purpose was really to kind of let the audience at home kind of recover from the 20-minute match with Charlotte and Rhea and to allow those people who are very much against Charlotte to maybe calm down a bit. Yeah, and um, give both men something to do. They do, they do seem to want to do stuff with Alistair Black. Um, you know, he has been prote- protected more, more or less. Um, even when he lost to AJ, it wasn't like a straight wasn't like straightforward, was it? Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, we had to go through Gallows and Anderson and then they beat him to a pulp. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, they might I, I, they might not necessarily get the character and they might be struggling to get their heads around uh, Alistair Black, but they, they definitely do see something in it. Um, yeah, I mean, the match was what it was. Uh, it wasn't anything I'm crazy about. I think Lashley did... Um, dominate for for large parts. Um, I thought the in, I thought the finish was interesting with Lashley going to go for the Dominator and then Lana telling him no no spear him spear him, and then as he went for the spear, Black caught him with the Black Mask and got the victory. So I think they're already looking at putting tensions between Lashley and Lana by the looks of it. Would you agree? Yeah. I would say so. That seems to be the direction they're going in. Now, the thing with Black is a lot of people kind of lost out on their spot in the car when they, the Andre Battle Royal and that got taken away because obviously they can't have a certain amount of people in the building due to the rules about the lockdown and self isolation and that. Mm. So a lot of people lost out on a spot. So it seemed to be in the lead up to Mania without the Battle Royal, there wasn't a spot for Black. And obviously they've, they've invested a lot of time in him and this Lana Lashley relationship, they invested a lot of time in that at the end of last year or start of this year. So it was a case of, these guys, we want them on Mania. There's nothing for them. Let's put them together. And then, like you said, they, we spent, spent from like October to like January, February, I think it felt like you spent doing this Lana Lashley getting together, spending every week uh, rubbing them, their relationship in the face of Rusev and taking up big chunks of TV time. And now they've already decided, now let's, let's start teasing their breakup. Yeah. As you already said, they did the thing with Liv Morgan came out on the wedding and saying something about being lovers, but then that just went absolutely nowhere, whether it was a Heyman idea and Vince didn't like it and pulled the plug on it. You, you just don't know. You do, you do feel that Heyman's pulling for certain things one way and 
and Vince the other. You could sort of see Heyman being um, keen on Shayna and wanting to push Shayna, but then Vince stepping in and saying, no, no, she's not young and pretty enough. We need to put the belt on such and such instead. Yeah, I mean, I think Black needs one. Well, I think it was a case of get more guys on the card, but Lashley, even though they put him in this high-profile spot, they care more of, I think, a bit Lana than they do him. Definitely. Really high up, especially in like Paul Heyman's eyes. So having one is definitely a great decision. One good takeaway you can get from this match is the finish and Black countering uh, Lashley's attempt at the spear with a black mask. Which is the kind of finish I was hoping for in this match. Yeah. And I'm glad they had it because, you know, at least they can say, oh, that match probably shouldn't have been the car. But, you know, that finish was good, though. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the finish as well. And um, as we were talking about Money in the Bank, do you, do you see Alistair Black as a shout to win the men's Money in the Bank? Because I, I certainly do. Uh, I actually see him more in the US title scene at the minute. I actually think, given what happened last night, I actually could see Kevin Owens. Winning the money in the bank. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe, I mean, if Seth isn't going away, yeah, I don't see him winning my event, but I see Seth kind of winning, like trying to go after the winner, the new Derry champion, and like, he being the first challenger, and then maybe he can, and Owens can reunite their feud if Owens wins money in the bank and have a match for the briefcase, you know, but. I think it's a bit. I think we don't really have that many face money in the bank winners. I think if you're going to have one, I think Owens is a good shout because he's, he's proved himself really good yeah. as a face recently. It does. It does work better as a, a sort of heels sort of vehicle, though, doesn't it? Money in the bank. Um, you know, yeah. because they, they, it's more of a heel thing to sort of cash it in out of nowhere. And I, I do worry if if Owens did win it and went up against Drew, who's being established as like the top baby face, would you would you have to turn Owens heel again? Because I think he's got a lot of steam and momentum as a baby face, so I wouldn't want him to turn again so soon. Uh, I wouldn't have him turn. I mean, I think you're right. It does work better with a heel one in it, but again, it's only so many times you can have the you know, the formula: a heel catches in a champion, a face champion after a match, beats them down, gets a quick win, and then you have them feuding for a couple of months. Whereas if you have Drew have a decent reign and then shortly after he loses it to whichever heel he loses it to, having Owens cashing in on that heel, then you'll have him like a turnaround, like had the face cashes in on the heel. Like maybe if it's someone Owens has been feuding with, it's kind of a bit of redemption for Owens to get his own back on that heel. And because like, you even have the, whoever beats Drew and then loses Owens. It's kind of like the old formula they used to do back in the day where, like, where you'd have the only times to have heel champions was to take it from one face to another. Yeah. So they could avoid, like the Sheik beat Bob Backlund, but he only held it for a month, so they didn't have to have Hogan beat Backlund for it because they don't like do they didn't like doing face v face. Yeah, it was it was tried and tested back in the day. Um, um, heels were usually only interim champions, only holding it for a couple of months. I think superstar Billy Graham was the first heel to have a, a really prolonged run in WWE anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really a dirty thing because like, that, was, that was one of the many things that set them apart from like NWE and WCW. They always had long face trains, whereas NWE had like, like the flair, holding it for ages, losing it briefly, and then eventually somehow getting it 
getting it back. And I think we might be putting a bit too much thought into this money in the bank, which may not happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, next match uh, was Otis and Dolph, wasn't it? If I've got my notes. Yeah. Okay. The story with me and with these predictions, by the way, was uh, we and me and Paul were three one up against uh, Nathan and Jimmy and into night two. We just needed one correct prediction and we had it. And they needed all three on this night to beat us. They got they already got Charlotte v Rhea. And it was at this point that I realised the next difference that we had after this was the five way. So I realised we had to rely on that because for whatever reason I let Paul taught me into choosing Ziggler. <laughs> and as soon as the SmackDown and as soon as they did the angle on SmackDown uh, with the reveal of uh, the footage of Sonya, I suddenly realised, fuck, we've 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 made we've made a we've done this wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, again, it, it it was um, it, you know, it was an okay match for what for what it was. Dolph, Dolph and Otis. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it. Dolph came to the ring with um, with Sonya Deville, who uh, looked stunning, by the way. Um, yeah, they had a bit of back and forth, didn't they? Anything you want to say about about the match? Uh, I did like uh, JBL on commentary. Like the fact the fact there is proper video evidence that Sonya did it. JBL was crying fake news and uh, proclaiming that Dolphin that's innocence. And just like I just like it was typical like, heel JBL commentary, which I enjoyed. It was an okay enough match, you know. The, I kind of talked myself into the to Dolphin winning because of well, because we predicted it, but because like there's all the rumors. Obviously, Vince probably wouldn't see. Otis is somebody good enough for Mandy Rose or the idea that I actually taught myself into thinking nobody, few people remember Warrior beating Savage they mostly remember uh, they remember Savage getting it together with Elizabeth. Yeah. I thought you can still put Mandy and Otis together but have Dolph steal the win as long as you have the moment at the end where he lost but he still got the girl. Uh, but decided to give them both which you know Otis deserves and I'm actually surprised he won with the Caterpillar because I see it as a lot like Scotty Too Hotties Worm and that it's a good move, it was over. But you never, you rarely have ever saw Scotty Too Hottie win with that move. Yeah, but if you compare Scotty Too Hottie, like a £200 man with um, Otis, who's <laughs> like a, a well over £300 man. I mean, if he dropped that elbow on you, it's... It's gonna finish you off. To be let's let's face it, he's a he's a huge man coming down on you. So I yeah. can I can sort of buy it as a finish from him, purely because of the the size of the man um, doing the manoeuvre. Yeah, yeah. I did like the fact that uh, Mandy came out. She attacked Sonia. She hit low blow though. Also, like she felt the need to uh, make an effort. She came out full gear to beat the fact she yeah. wasn't. And then you have the moment of uh, Otis and Mandy with Otis like lifting Mandy up in his arms and everything, and you know it was it was a good moment, you know. So I can't really blame them for going that direction, no predictions or not. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I was surprised. I, I I felt for sure because you know they've been posting on Twitter that they they were sort of kayfabe dating and and mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, I, I thought perhaps they were they were going to go in go in that way, but. Uh, for now, yeah, they, they've I think they've gone the right way. It's quite quite refreshing. Yeah, they finally had the, the good guy won. 
Now, we move on to a match that Dave Meltzer described as the most boring match in WrestleMania history. A bit of a strong statement there, Dave. I don't know if I quite agree with that. It's the match that I thought had the best build out of any of the matches on uh, across both nights. It's probably up there. We have Edge versus Randy Orton in a last man standing match. Now, how good has Randy Orton been in the build up to this? Yeah, they, they've both been excellent, to be honest. And this has been the best that Randy Orton's been in, in, in a good while, to be honest. Perhaps there's a bit of a feud with, with Jeff RDB, which ended in that Hell in the Cell, with, um, being uh, the one exception. But yeah, he, both both have been awesome. And yeah, Randy's really stepped up his stepped up his game, RKO in um, the misses. Um, Beth Phoenix and, and whatnot, and yeah, his reasons for doing it as well. Sort of, he he sort of seeing how his twisted mind would would make sense of all that. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing that it hasn't been hindered really that much, if any, by the fact that there aren't any fans in the year. Because like the promos that Randy and Edge cut in front of the, the building were awesome, and it was good because as much as I like the whole thing between Randy and and Beth with him hitting the RKO. I didn't like the fact that there were fans in the front row chanting RKO pretty much as soon as they go out there. I'm like, no, let it build. Let the mm. let me explain for let the moment build and then hit them. So you know you you avoid the the smarky like fans kind of ruining the moment. And for the most part, I think up until the last ten or so minutes in this match, the fact that this didn't have any fans uh, helped it as well. The match because you'd hear the guys like shouting at each other. They were like, uh, like Orton shouting at Edge this day to gone. Mm. I'd also, I watched the on the Sunday waiting for this like night two of WrestleMania start. Uh, I was on the network and I watched uh, the new Edge twenty four special, and Edge even admits in that special that it, it was maybe a documentary about life after wrestling. But during that, during this documentary, he does the thing at SummerSlam with Elias, and then gets the test about that say he basically he can come back. And it shows like the efforts of like the secrecy he went to to like get cleared and uh, keep his comeback a secret. Like they sent a ring to his house, and there's footage of Edge, Beth, and Dash Wilder like training together. Yeah, I'm surprised they've uh, kept that in the documentary with with what's just happened with, with the revival. Well, yeah, apparently they're really they're really good mates, um, Dash and uh, and Edge. Yeah, I uh, I remember Edge was talking to me his acting career at the start. So I actually I say that you look at Edge's IMDb and something that struck out to me and they showed a brief clip of him on set for this film and uh, the documentary. But he's uh, he's got a film coming out later this year called Money Plane, and oh, it, right. it, it struck out to me as he stars alongside uh, Kelsey Grammer, who famously played Fraser, which I talk about a lot here and on my other podcast, Golden Balls Rowland podcast. So it stars him, Kelsey Grammer, and uh, Thomas Jane, who uh, once played the Punisher, and he's been in a number of other things. And I just looked at the cast, I was like, this looks like the weirdest mismatch of people. It could be <laughs> utter crap, but I need to see this somehow. It's like all your favourite things. <laughs> I know. Wrestling, Fraser, everything, it's all coming together. <laughs> uh, well, um... You know, it'll be your, like, your typical action like film, like the plot won't be anything you've not seen before, but you know, you want to see it, but 
yeah, getting into the actual match, yeah, the Orton surprising Edge by posing as the cameraman to then sneak in and hit an RKO right off the bat. And then, yeah, I love I love the way that started, and mm-hmm. and they let it they let, they sort of let it play just long enough as well, didn't they? Because Randy Orton's music hit Edge is there waiting for him, and it seemed like a good minute or two went by before Randy Orton sort of as you say made his appearance, RKOing him out of nowhere. And I almost bit for that. I thought, shit, they're not just going to do a, a really quick a really quick finish, are they? Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I think they, they were able to do in this match what none of the other matches did because there's a lot of the other matches that basically they are straight up wrestling within the confines of the ring or with the exception of like Owens and Rollins like using the WrestleMania scene or they were mm. like pre-taped in another location whereas this match was actually allowed to use the full on like the full for horns there they were brawling or everywhere through the offices, through the gym it was a, a spot that I didn't really realise the implications of it until some point no, um, Same here, and I know what you're going to talk about. I'm the same. I, I didn't really think anything of it um, until people started bringing it up on Twitter and, and what have you. Yeah, you had Edge uh, getting like hung up on one of these weight machines by Orton, which a lot of people point out is a similar way to how uh, Chris Benoit kind of committed suicide back in 07. And I think the main reason a lot of people remember it is it's a lot on a lot of people's minds because a few weeks ago we had that two-part uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring mm. about Benoit, which is really well put together, but I think it's fresher in a lot of people's minds. And it's one of those things, once it's been pointed out to you, you can't not see it. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the intention by them, but I think it was just like, to put over how vicious Orton is. Because I think if they realised the implications of it, I don't think they would have done it. Maybe not, but you, you never know in Vince's mind, to be honest. He's a <laughs> he's yeah. a strange guy but yeah uh, and I, I just want to I want to go back on to what Meltzer and other people are saying um, I want to go as far as to say it's the most boring match in Wrestlemania history but I do think it went a bit long um, it could have been paced slightly better perhaps I did str- I did struggle with it in, in part so I, I won't lie but I've definitely seen far worse matches yeah, I've got the official time uh, here. It went approximately 36 minutes this match win. I think if you had a good 25 minutes, it would yeah. have been, that would have been enough. Uh, yeah. I think the issue is, I think there was a spot where, where they went into the office and he just lays Orton across his big table and he claims this kind of weird greeting to then drop an elbow on Orton, which I really enjoyed. But I think it was once they left the offices that the match, the pace kind of slowed right down you like you had the spot where it's like the setup for that spot where it stays off the conveniently positioned ladder and then it's once they go over to the the truck the bit on top of the truck took a long time like i think the reason well there's the fear the idea of like orton like edge hitting the spear on top of the truck but like because i think they built up making it seem like someone was going to like fall up go get yeah the truck but that didn't really happen and like, because with like the pre-tape nature of this, they could have thrown someone off and onto a crash man. And the way they do the cuts, cut tape to make it seem like somebody got like thrown off onto concrete when you could have just had someone lay down and then cut between. You know, like, you can do anything with with proper like editing. Yeah, exactly. And they could have they could have sort of shaved bits out of it to to sort of make the match sort of flow a bit better as well. If um... If they'd have wanted to, but I think they were going for like um, 
like a proper war of attrition kind of feel because you know you, you both you went a long time and both men did look absolutely bollocks by by the end of it to to be fair yeah and i think something that didn't really help is as much as i like tom phillips as a commentator him and baron saxon were not aren't the most captivating duo for commentary so it was they weren't they were basically calling like the spots but they weren't really the most they weren't the best at keeping your attention yeah so, like, if the commentary is not as interesting and the match just seems flawed, and you're going to end up like tuning out, and a lot of people did. Uh, although I did like the numbers were like finish because you had Edge digging out Orton, he had him laid out in the position for the concerto, and you had Edge kind of like crying almost mm. and like like hesitant about it before eventually hitting the concerto on top of the big like production truck. He used that like choke as well to get you off. He used that like choke as well, didn't he? Like a like a sleeper kind of move, which I've never seen him use before. So that was that was kind of different. And then yeah, as you say, he uh, finished him off with the with the concerto. Yeah, it seemed weird that that played into the finish because I remember he busted out on MVP a few weeks back, and it just seemed weird. I thought they're trying to get this over as a new move in Edge's arsenal, but like I think because you've not really seen it, like I know. And I've seen that joke used before. I think it's a similar joke Jake uh, has used before in both MMA and in AEW. But, and it makes sense him using it, but Edge, it's still very rare to see him use it. So I don't think I got the it got the reaction from people that really they were hoping for like when he used the joke. Mm. But, you know, no, he, uh, I enjoyed it. I get that he could have shaved 10 minutes off it, but I don't think... The reaction that's came from people like Meltzer, like, is fully warranted. Yeah, um, I don't know. He, he's him and Alvarez. He, he, I don't know if someone from WWE has said something to them, or they've had a de- cease and desist or something. But they really do seem to have a vendetta against WWE just lately. They really do. Um, you know, NXT can suffer in the ratings, and they'll pan them. But when they W are having a bad rating, they'll, they'll uh, give them every excuse in the book. So um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't quite understand where their heads are at at the moment, but they're making themselves look look quite foolish. I mean, I'll talk about Alvarez later on, because he said something I didn't really agree with about a later match. So yeah, yeah I, think, I think I might know where you're, you're going with, with that one as well. So yeah, we, we can uh, discuss that. And then... Um, I think we had the moment of WrestleMania history, didn't we? With uh, the Gronk winning the 24-7 title. I can't think of a, a bigger moment in wrestling history, personally. I don't know what you think. I'll be honest with you, Carl. After the Edge match, because I was watching live on Network, and it can be a bitch to kind of pause things when you're watching live, I went, I went for a piss after the Edge. <laughs> You missed Gronk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I went to the toilet and I came back and all I could hear was, you're new, 24th century. Like, what the fuck happened here? And I watched the replay back and he, he dies off the balcony and what was, all thing was missing was I made a dive off and go, oh, make way for Gronkowski. <laughs> well, I must admit, first watch, I missed it as well and I got to a point and I thought, why is Titus the host all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should have seen it coming because at one point he, he's asked about the thing that happened with Arthur and Mojo on the first night and he, he, he delivers the money line of, 
I'd like to be the twenty four seven champion by the end of the tonight. <laughs> he's a, but what do you make of make of Gronk? I mean, he's massive in America. I mean, us us limeys might not quite get him as as much. I mean, I I, I, I certainly don't really get him to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's weirdly. I think a lot of Americans I heard like didn't really get the appeal of Tyson Fury when he came in because I think he hadn't fully broken into America yet. And I think it's basically it's the same thing that we've in the UK have had for a long time with like the Gronk and a lot of big American celebrities that they bring in that we don't really see the appeal mm. because they haven't really they don't have the cross country kind of appeal to a lot of us over here. I don't see him. I don't think he's that bad. I mean. He's not really helped by the fact that he's associated with uh, Mojo no, Rawley. No, <laughs> I think I think that is that will hold him back in the long run if because I've heard rumours he wants to be a wrestler. I don't know if I've got that right or is this just a one and done. I think he does want to be like they thought of him signing quote unquote with WWE and then they announced him as the host of WrestleMania. So I think until he's he's ready to actually step in around properly, they're just keeping him with stuff like this. I mean, I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't get any resolution to this. Like, Gronk just runs off with the belt. I thought yeah. there was a segment later on with Mojo or R-Truth catching up to him or something kind of like that. I mean, I did not recognise one person that chased Mojo. They had a lot of PC guys get jobbed out in, like, squad matches on Raws the last week on the pre-tape Raws to, like, the Black and that. But I think they just took all of those guys and said, chase Mojo and then Gronk's going to dive on you. The local talent. As they yeah. as they call them, yeah, pretty much. So I was I was kind of sad because um, a while back when we were doing our fantasy book of a WrestleMania show, me and Nathan basically did a a repeat of like WrestleMania X8 with the hardcore title, and that we just wanted multiple title changes throughout the night. And I'm sad we didn't get that. We just got one, two yeah. really crap title changes across both nights. It would have made more sense for Truth to have won it back uh, near the end of the show, really, wouldn't it? To... Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes if we ever see Gronk again with that title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think what we really needed after, like, is as long as the last man standing match went, as long as it went, I think we needed this match to come after it because this was a very fast pace. Even though I just checked the time here, it only went six minutes twenty. So you know, you could have saved five minutes off that last man standing, gave it to, gave it to this match, which was. Angel Garza and Austin Theory, accompanied by Selena Vega, taking on the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits. Um, Austin Theory must have thought all his Christmases and birthdays had come at once when he he got the call to write, you're, you're, you're not just going to Raw, but you're you're going to be um, at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Must have been, you know, and it, one person, it probably didn't matter the circumstances surrounding WrestleMania. This is something he probably never dreams was going to come at this point in time for him. Yeah, he's still only 22, 23 mm. years old. I've seen him quite a bit of stuff in Evolve. You can tell in NXT he's a guy that Triple H is going to want to put the NXT title on at some point. I, mean, I like the idea of Selena having these multiple clients with Andrade, Angel and now Theory. But it kind yeah. of like, like as soon as this was announced, Street Profits were not going to lose, but they did their best to kind of put on an entertaining match, regardless of the obviousness kind of, of the outcome. But I did well, like... Sorry. I was gonna say, all, all I care about in this match is 
Gaza ripped his trousers off. That's it. After <laughs> that, nothing, nothing matters. Got the trousers spot. <laughs> uh, they did a, a spot which we we kind of seen do done twice in the the, the women's title match night before, and that I think you had Siri Bennett going to pin uh, Dawkins, but then you had Ford come off and had a splash on the back of Siri, and then just rolled Dawkins over, and Dawkins covers Siri. I kind of. Out of nowhere finish again. That's probably why you just get it done with another five minutes. But I think a lot of people are more interested in what happened after the match. Yeah, um, Gaza and Theory started beating on the profits, and then so did Zelina Vega. And um, he should come out for the save. But uh, Montez's Ford's wife, Bianca Belair, and she uh, gave Vega a good pasting and hit her with the uh, the. The KOD. Yeah, I was uh, I was very interested to see her. I like, I like the fact they didn't have her just run out. They had her music play and everything. You know if there had been a crowd, people would have been chanting Bianca mm. before she came out and probably would have got a great like reaction. I remember at the time thinking, is this her official like call-up? And then I think she kind of confirmed it the next night on Raw when she came out again. Yeah. Now, I know I said... I'm kind of rethinking what I said a minute ago about how this could have got another five minutes because uh, we realised on Raw that giving these guys time isn't always the best thing because we had a rematch for the titles, which ends in a DQ because Selena got involved. And Bianca comes out again, that leads to a singles match between Selena and Bianca, which then ends in a DQ again. So the Ford says, why don't we have a six-person tag match, which then Selena gets pinned by Bianca in that six-person. And then that was it. That took, that took almost what felt like an hour of rock. It's crazy, wasn't it? I didn't watch more properly, but I did I did sort of see it on the, the YouTube highlights so I could tell where where they were going. But um, it's nice that these guys are getting time, though. And yeah, I think Belair would be a good shout. I know she's only just come up, but she'd be a good shout for women's money in the bank. I think I think it's something she could do a lot with, that briefcase. Yeah, it makes sense. A lot of people have said about Sarah Logan because she's married to uh, Eric of the the Viking Raiders. So, like, a lot of people, and you see her gear, she looks very Viking athlete with a face paint. Mm. So, it's a case of a lot of people ask why isn't she put with the Viking Raiders? And I think they avoided people asking the same questions about Bianca because I think for now it's a good fit put her with the Street Brothers because, as you pointed out, we, we already know that she and, and Montez are, are married. So it's fair enough. I would have thought because of Bianca had fought uh, Rhea Ripley back in February for the title and then she kind of had the face off with Charlotte and she wrestled her on NXT and there were people who still thought Bianca was going to get added to that match. I thought Bianca would have kind of been the first to step up to Charlotte after Charlotte won the title. But I think because Charlotte is technically a Raw superstar as I mentioned so the fact that they're both on Raw, we could still get that match, but, you know, it seemed interesting that they did that. Yeah, it was strange, and uh, whether they were short on time or something, I don't know, but I thought Charlotte won, I thought Charlotte beat Bianca quite easily, really, in, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like, you can still do that match, I mean, like I said, about, the things I said about the are still true about Bianca, she's still very early in her career. She's still very young, so I think she's a long way she could go. Now, this next match, it all came down to this prediction twice. We had Sasha Banks 
they had Lacey Evans. Now, and we made this decision by we, I mean, I suggested it. I said, because uh, I, I had a feeling that it could come down to a tie or something like that, or like one of the results, because it was an uneven number. One of them could go like wrong for us, because I thought, like, we had, they had Miz and Morrison, we had New Day, or we had Usos in the, in, uh, in the ladder match, so it's a point against all of us if the New Day wins or something like that happened. Basically, we would take the women's uh, elimination match, and if neither of our picks won, basically it was a case of go with whoever got closest. So, like, if they were, like, second last eliminated or if they were first eliminated, basically whoever was closer gets the point. And that eventually played against us yeah. in this match. <laughs> as soon as I seen they, they picked Lacey Evans, I thought, oh, you know, that's Nathan, like, his bias affect him and Jimmy's judgment, you know, that's because we had Sasha, and basically anybody who's anybody was talking about either Bailey or Sasha were going to win. It was going to come, the fact it was going to come down to them, and, like, it was going to be the kickstart of a feud between the two. And I think WWE noticed that, and they thought, oh, it's too obvious. We better change it. And but I thought, like, well, no, it was always because people really want that to happen. But you know, we can get to that in a second. We need to talk about the MVP performance of Tamina in this match. <laughs> oh yes, big time. <laughs> yeah, this is as you mentioned the five way for the elimination match for the women SmackDown women's title. Big uh, Bailey, Sasha, Lacey Evans, Naomi. And to me, it was meant to be a, a six-pack challenge with Dana Brooke involved, but Dana went into self-isolation, so she had to be pulled from the match. And uh, it was okay. I loved how instead of all going for Sasha and Bailey, who are the clear alliance, and Bailey being the champion, everybody suddenly thinks the biggest threat in this match is Tamina. Everybody gang up on Tamina. Yeah, it's, it's how they do it, and for some reason. Um... They seem to they seem to like to protect Tamina, don't they? And yeah, she she only lost because everyone did their finisher on her, and then the, everyone sort of piled on her for the pin as well, didn't they? Yeah, it's getting so much to when they had that four for the Rollins title a few years back in Nile was the first out. Everybody kind of ganged up on her, eh? But like that made more sense. Like Nia's more of a power than Tamina, mm. and well, Tamina's more one of the stronger women, I think. She doesn't really warrant everybody having to hit their finish and everybody piling on her to keep her down. No, no, but but there you go. They, 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 whether because of who her dad is and um, and whatnot, they, they seem to seem to like her, seem to protect her, don't they? So um, it is I mean, what it is. The saddest thing about it is somebody pointed out. It was going around on Twitter that every time Tamina competes on the main card of WrestleMania. A championship is on the line because she, she was involved in the big multi-woman match at WrestleMania 30. The AJ won uh, for the Divas title. She was in the four-way for the tag titles last year, mm-hmm. and now she's in this match. At least she hasn't won them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I don't like to like slide Lucy Evans too much or people like her because of how like they're like her Ellie's are still onto it, but like. Alicia Fox until she left I hated and I don't like Tamina for some reasons to her because neither of them shown any improvement in like over a decade of being with the company because Alicia Fox had a good Northern Lights suplex but it wasn't enough to point to cover all the shit that she had like 
she could not cut a promo. Her character was was maybe mental, but she was just annoying. And I can't think of one good match. I mean, other than her match with Melina at SummerSlam, which inspired Cameron to get into wrestling. You know, that's clearly up there as one of the all-time greats on the amount of sport of women's wrestling. But no, I agree. For the amount of time uh, to me and the analysts of us have been in the business, they they haven't come along much at all, really. Where I've got to say, I am starting to see improvement in Lacey Evans. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, and because it came down to like Naomi got eliminated because uh, of Bailey and Sasha teaming up on her, which then left Lacey and against uh, basically a two on one. It felt like. Yeah. And the thing was about it that I probably reason I didn't think uh, they had a chance in this match because they did the whole Lacey Evans thing already, where they had Lacey like do the thing. I think from the night after Survivor Series onwards, they just they seem to build this match between her and Bailey for the title, which seem to just get put off and put off until they eventually did it at the Rumble, and by then no one really cared. And it didn't help that on the night it was put after one of the Rumble matches, so it was in a mm. dead spot anyway. So, and they had her lose. I mean, I think there's still a way to go with Naomi because they had that match at Super Showdown. So I thought if you're going to do a two on one, I don't know why you couldn't have done Naomi in Lacey's spot because it just felt like like you're just retreading old ground. And then there was a point where Bailey and Sasha were arguing. And I'm just yelling at my television, like, no, 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 do not argue. Focus on Lacey. <laughs> yeah, you did get the miscommunications between Sasha and Bailey, which led to um, Bailey getting knocked on her butt and um, Sasha getting laid out with the woman's right. Um, so, yeah, Sasha, Sasha got pinned and it left us with Lacey and Bailey, which I thought might be the start of dissension between. Sasha and Bailey, but now after the finish, I'm I'm not too sure. What 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 do you think? Yeah, that was that was weird because Bailey it clearly looked like an accident that Bailey hit Sasha, and then Sasha's getting all up in Bailey's face, and then Bailey kind of saves herself by grabbing uh, Lacey's fist and kind of spinning her around, and that basically clocks Sasha in the face. That was it, yeah. And that and I was like Paul Heyman level reaction. Of when like, he saw Brock beat the streak, when I realised that uh, their pick had pinned their pick, which means even if Lacey didn't win, they had basically just, it was done, the game was a bogey. <laughs> I was so gutted because of how well we'd done on night one, and then Bailey won with help from Sasha. And I was actually thinking, I thought Sasha would attack Bailey after the match because like, I helped you retain. Because yeah, I, because I was of, wondering. I was wondering that. I was waiting. I was waiting for Sasha to suddenly turn on her, but it it just never happened. Yeah, basically having her turn on Bailey, saying like, "But it's clear if anybody's going to take that belt from you, it's going to be me next time. It's going to be one on one, and then you can hold off to whenever you're able to do the one on one match between those two." Because like I kept finding all the things online, like everything, like, "Oh, the time for Sasha Bailey is now," and like, because the plan was to do Bailey Sasha at Mania. But it felt, oh, we didn't have enough time. Like, you kept Sasha off television for weeks. Apparently, where you, well, apparently she got a it. knock. Apparently she got a knock. When she's been doing this album, apparently she's she's been filming parts of the 
Mandalorian season two, from what I've heard. So there's been a there's been a few things that have kept her off TV by by the signs of things. Fair enough, but and then I heard the thing that Boston, if SummerSlam is able to happen, uh, SummerSlam is happening in Boston, which is also Sasha's hometown. So I thought that might play into it, but yeah, that would again, make sense. But you know, again, clearly too much thought being put in because I forgot I didn't account for how much. WWE still apparently invest in Lacey Evans despite the fact that she's being beaten soundly in feuds for both the Raw and SmackDown women's titles. Mm. They've almost gone sort of Lex Luger circa 1993 with, with Lacey. She was playing this sort of self, sort of narcissistic, full of herself character. Now she's gone all sort of all American baby face. And I don't know, I prefer her as a heel. I think this. Babyface character is a bit a bit boring for my taste, but it could be because I'm British and all this all American stuff gets a bit much for me. I'm pretty sure well, from last I've seen, uh, Lacey apparently since we're in the main roster, she's been featured on pay per views. Probably like she had that feud with Becky, and then I'm sh- I think she was on the Survivor Series Women's Team, mm. and then she had the thing with as I said with Bailey at uh, Rumble. And she's on Crown Jewel and Mania. But I don't think she's actually won, ever won a match on pay-per-view since getting called up. Like, I can't remember if she lost or won that uh, that Shady match. I'm pretty sure Natalia won it. But, you know, I could be wrong. But I don't think she actually won a, a proper pay-per-view match since getting called up. No, I'm not sure she has either now you, now you mention it. So, coming up next. The match that I think everybody wants us to talk about from night two is the Firefly Funhouse match between John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Now, nobody really was certain of what this was going to really be, and but after the Boneyard match, we kind of had hope there would be something like that. Now, from what I heard, you had like, like sort of Triple H and Jeremy Borash involved in the Undertaker one, whereas I've heard that this Funhouse thing was more of a a collaboration between Cena, Wyatt, and I heard Bruce Pritchard was involved, which uh, which doesn't surprise me because obviously he took over Eric Bischoff's duties yeah. on on WrestleMania, but on on uh, SmackDown after he uh, got let go, and uh, we'll uh, we'll come back to Eric Bischoff in a bit. Sorry, yes. While while I was doing that, while I was doing that preamble, I just looked up. Yes, Natalia defeated Lacey Evans uh, by submission at Crown Jewel. So yes. Even in Saudi Arabia, she cannot win a pay-per-view match. <laughs> so, yeah, back to what I was saying. Yeah. The Firefly Vance match, we weren't sure what this was going to be. We knew it was going to be filmed outside of uh, of the performance centre. It was going to be a case of uh, uh, the movie style treatment was described as the way it was going to be filmed. And what happened was, Cena comes out in the arena, which was surprising at first, and then he goes to say, welcome us to WrestleMania, and then the screen gets fuzzy and it's and cuts between Vince saying welcome to WrestleMania and it shows Bray in the fun house and he lets us know that John Cena is going to face his greatest challenge yet himself and then Cena ends up in the fun house and he goes behind the, the door that you always see in the back of the fun house that you never yeah. actually see what's on the other side of and it's got the sign abandon all hope ye who exit here and Cena goes out into the darkness where he's confronted oh, you, by... You're by, missing out, Rambling Rabbit. You can't miss out, Rambling Rabbit. 
well, what else can I say? He derides them. He told, <laughs> he told them to go through the door, and I just said he went through the door. <laughs> Settled down. <laughs> so he goes into the dark room, and he's confronted by puppet Vince McMahon, who asked him, does he have enough ruthless aggression? Oh, that yeah. puppet! That puppet is just the best thing of all time. It really is it's like the devil horns and everything. Yeah, uh, he said, "You better get, make sure you've got enough ruthless aggression, or you're fired." Which conveniently is a topic they talked about a lot in mm-hmm. uh, the episode of the ruthless aggression documentary that happened to come out a couple of months back. So you know, it's lucky that that came out. <laughs> and then you have Wyatt in the ring. And his funhouse gear, like the sweater and everything, basically cutting the Kurt Angle promo. Yes. When Kurt called out whoever it was going to be to challenge him, and Cena comes out with the SmackDown fist, which popped me. Yeah, I mean, I thought they brought they put that back out of storage. Yeah, because like it's not as if they got rid of it. Like it's been in storage since they changed the set, and they just didn't use it. And then Cena comes out. And he's like weird short coloured shorts. Yeah, just basically <laughs> the gear he wore in that. Was it two thousand two or two thousand three? Two thousand two, I think it was. Yeah, and then he does the whole thing—the the ruthless aggressive. But every time he goes for the <laughs> yeah. why it keeps sucking and basically slagging off the gimmick and how bad it was. And uh, he's like, uh, "Oh, I can see why this why this didn't work. I can see why you nearly got fired." Yeah, keep saying <laughs> ruthless aggression and swinging for him. But the best one, I think it got the biggest reaction from people at that point, was when he ducked and Wyatt starts singing, you can look but you can't touch. Which, <laughs> as a director, I did not think they would go like, oh, they went there. <laughs> That's uh, something the Bellas, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it was a reference to the failure of the or the breakup of mm. of him and Nicky Villa. Now, I was watching this video the other day. It was basically pointing out all the references and the Easter eggs in the Firefly Funhouse match. And somebody pointed out in that video, and I don't know if this was the intention. If it was, then fair enough. But somebody pointed out that Cena sit constantly just doing the same move and why avoiding it? Because all he can do is say ruthless aggression and go to punch him. Somebody claimed that that was a reference to the complaints from fans that Cena just does the same moves over and over again. Like also, the complaint, the five moves of Doom from John Cena, <laughs> which I don't know if that, was, if that was what they were going for. If so, fair enough, and kudos to you for spotting it. But it, it could have been. Sometimes you can look at things and make any reference you, you kind of want to. Um, and then we, went, we sort of went all 80s, didn't we, after... After that bit, which took me back to my my childhood as a an eighties child, the yeah. Saturday main event um, titles and, and music. Yeah, and you had a uh, Mercy Macho Mercy and Mister McBossman. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And you had Mercy with the the uh, Macho glasses and you think like too cold to hold too hot to handle which I believe yeah. <laughs> used like the first ever Raw or something like that and um, I'm pretty sure I might be wrong but I think this might have been this promo was how Hogan was originally introduced back into the WWE um, I'm not entirely sure after he was I, I might be imagining it but 
I think it could be. I remember seeing something when someone was introduced, you know, my partner, he's got the biggest arms and, and, all, and all that. And that scene with those dumbbells going really fast with the, Oh, God, that, that had me in stitches, that did. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. a, you, had, you had the old, like, old school blue cage in front yeah. of him like, in this promo. And uh, he jokes about, he, I think he's, it's maybe a reference to like how Debbie's always had the succession, even back to the Hogan days of guys with big muscles and Cena's mm-hmm. out there lifting the weights. And Wyatt says, it's all about the muscles. No matter how how little talent you yeah, have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a thing where he's always been a he's a very creative guy. Is is why I mean, we've seen that over the years. But I think possibly his look has held him back. Like when he was Husky Harris, he uh, he was kind of almost fired because he was struggling to lose weight and all that. I think they called him something like. Johnny McMeat slab or something, something like that, something like that, wasn't it? And you had um, Abby the Witch with a, a jaw dropping down, <laughs> staring at, at John. I, I did. I want to go back to the Ruthless Aggression segment when they were flipping between the old and the new bits. Didn't do you think Cena looks more ripped now in his forties than he <laughs> than he did even back then? I think so. Yeah, I mean. It looks pretty much the same other than like the hair, like obviously they didn't want to go full on mm. with the weird like hair they had then, but the fact that his hair is like kinda of combed over, taking account of the fact he's kinda of going bald at the back <laughs> with the old two thousand two look is a weird like cotton Yeah, bit. Quite charring in a way. And then you had uh, when Cena's kinda of worn himself out because he's been lifted so many weights, you had uh, again another reference to Hogan with why it's say what you're gonna do when you realise egomania has been running wild on you. Yeah. Uh, which is good and then once we got the reference to O two like wrestling aggressions, you know, we you hope is there gonna be a Doctor of Thugonomics thing? And then the next scene is Cena dresses the doctor, you know what I mean? He did I know he came back last year and did a local point out like but you know it's always good to see this version of Cena because yeah. from he this was my introduction to Cena as the Doctor of Thugonomics. <laughs> and, it, and it's what really started to get him over as well, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he was, like, cutting... He basically realises he's only talking rhymes. He's, he's slagging Wyatt's weight. And he says, unlike Rusty Harris, there's a weight I can manage. And then Wyatt... You think he's going to cry when he's cutting this promo about chances that were taken away from him while Cena gets handed all these opportunities and that. And then Cena just responds by making a, a joke about nuts. Yeah, I think I think did he do something similar back in the day with the with the nuts joke? I, I think so, maybe. But and then like, he tries to hit attack Bray, and then Bray goes to use like the chain, which Cena used to do back in the day. And then uh, sometimes it would be used against him, like when Carlito beat him for the US title. Uh, on SmackDown, Carly will use Cena's own chain against them, and uh, and then we get like more references to the last time they fought each other, where you have Wyatt appear in his old like Hawaiian like. Oh skirt. yeah, yeah, that was Rock. pretty cool. That was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed getting to see like the rocking chair back, and he said, "I was the color red in a world of black and white," which was a reference to one of his his promos when he was the cult leader, and says, "Why didn't you listen to them?" And it cuts to like the seat footage of the match, and people are the fans singing. He's got the whole world in his hands, and you had the the moment in the match where they tease the see the heel turn where 
Wyatt handed him the chair and told him to hit him with it, and Cena didn't. And then, yeah, Wyatt handed him a chair, basically saying to him, like, don't make the same mistake. And it actually looks like Cena's going to hit him this time. Yeah. He sort of swung a miss, didn't he? Yeah, and again, Cena's outfit keeps changing. He's back into a shirt I think he was wearing around that time. Uh, the kind of black with like the greenish writing mm. on it, uh, and then I think what maybe one of my favourite bits of this entire bit was uh, suddenly the in- the WCW Nitro intro starts. Yes, and I'm, and I'm confused. Uh, like, is this going to be a reference to Goldberg beating Wyatt or something like that? Because I wasn't really sure. And then... yeah, this is what confused a lot of people going into uh, WCW and the. The sort of whole MWO vibe. Yeah. And then Wyatt's in the ring with the leather jacket and the NWO shirt. And it's basically cutting between him, cutting a basically a Bischoff-esque promo when when Bischoff would introduce like, Hogan and the NWO. Yeah. And like, I know Pritchard's involved in it, but like, it can't really be a coincidence that Pritchard came in, he's taken over from Bischoff, and then there's a Bischoff reference in the in the match and Bischoff even reacted to it on Twitter he just he did a video on Twitter saying see I got fired in like October I think it was something like that he goes and then I'm in the main event of Wrestlemania <laughs> yeah he even said on his podcast with Comrade when they reviewed Mania that he, he enjoyed you know he enjoyed the, the segment <laughs> seeing himself yeah and then he brings it John Cena basically doing coming out like NWO like Hogan mm. Basically, the idea of like the idea of like the heel turn that never happened, like how Hogan like inevitably turned heel, but Cena never did. Because uh, I remember like back in the Nexus days, like, there are people who said like when Cena was forced to join the Nexus, they wanted Cena to turn heel officially and make like the Nexus like this new version of the NWO. Mm. Uh, so Cena comes out and he's doing the two sweep with Wyatt, but then he does because the way he takes him out is like a spear. And I thought that that's why I thought again it's a reference to Goldberg. And then he's seen as laying into Wyatt while the puppets are telling them to stop. And then we're getting flashes of like moments from Cena's career with chance of Cena sucks. Like One Night Stand 2006. Yeah. Uh, if Cena wins, we riot. They sort of focused mm-hmm. on that side, didn't they? Yeah, he got Money in the Bank 2011 with Punk blowing the kiss to Vince. Mm. Uh, Cena getting squashed by Brock and uh, Taker beating him. And uh, like matches like that, and then uh, it shows that it's actually Husky, Husky the pig, that is getting beaten up by Cena, and then the fiend just appears behind Cena, and it just like he chokes him out with the mandible call. He hits the, he goes for the sister Abigail, and then Cena's promo from SmackDown plays like the audio of it, and you realise what Cena was actually talking about technically. And the promo where, because I thought the promo when he said it was, it would accomplish the getting rid of the most overhyped, overprivileged superstar in history. I thought he was talking about Wyatt and that he felt that Wyatt, the idea of Wyatt being kind of overhyped in the eyes of fans, because fans are always complaining about the booking of Bray Wyatt. But then, and really, really he was technically talking about himself. And then he gets hit with the threat Abigail. Uh, Funhouse Bray makes a cover, kind of like how Paul Heyman, I think, Made the cover for yeah. Van Dam. Van Dam beat him, which I don't think a lot of people have made or 
made that reference to this. I don't know if it was meant to be a, a reference to that. But yeah, it might have been. Maybe. And then Cena kind of just disappears. And Titus O'Neil has, the, I think, the same reaction that a lot of people did. Yeah. I don't know what I've just seen or something like that, he says. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know we've, uh, unlike other matches, we basically just broke that down bit by bit, but like there was so much to unpack and there's so much good mm. stuff there. Oh, I didn't even mention that uh, like when Wednesday is making his NWO entrance, it cuts to the match show, uh, it cuts to Mercy and the Vince again, and Vince Public goes, this is such good shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which uh, a lot of people will remember from that uh, from that John Moxley promo when yeah. Moxley talked about Vince saying that he, the gimmick that he had back at, before he left, like, had, oh, this is good shit. <laughs> now, I enjoyed this for different reasons than I enjoyed the the Boneyard match. Because I, I enjoyed the Boneyard match because I didn't think I would enjoy an Undertaker match. Like the beer, the build was okay, but I didn't you know because I've seen Taker the last few years. I didn't know how he would match up with AJ, and then they put this weird gimmick on it. But then watching the match, I think it's because I had such low expectations for, it and I didn't know what to expect. I uh, I was I found myself really enjoying it, whereas this. I wanted them to go all out, and I wanted it to go like be, I wanted it to be weird. And the fact that it did, and it gave you all these references, and that it, it clearly showed the kind of the full like creative freedom that they had. It basically gave you everything you wanted. And that's why I loved it. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've seen the Firefly for nice segments before, and he has been very clever with. Um, certain things he's referenced from what you know Vince has said and other people have said and um yeah I was expecting it to be full on out there and I yeah, like you say I didn't know what to expect but yeah I love what they did sort of parallels between Cena and and Hogan being two big muscly guys who perhaps didn't have a great many wrestling moves between them and the fact that, yeah, if Cena had gone heel, it, it might have prolonged his career and made him more interesting. It, it certainly did for Hogan when when he turned heel. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, it was it was great. I love the way they sort of flashed back from different periods of Cena's career and now it perhaps paralleled with Hogan's and whatnot. So, yeah, really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, and Cena... Kind of posted a cryptic tweet on Twitter, which a lot of people thought was MTs in retirement because of the fact they just disappeared. And I like the idea of Cena not coming back for a while because you know he, you know he's busy mm. with his filming schedule. So leaving it up in the air was the way he yeah, just disappeared at the end uh, and teasing whether or not Cena's ever going to come back. I think it's an interesting idea, and I really want to see where Wyatt goes from here because I think Wyatt needed this because. A lot of people were worried about him losing his order and losing his deceit by that loss to Goldberg. But I think this match served, did him a lot of good because people saw that there was a lot more in the tank creatively for The Fiend to do. Do you think he might go after Braun? I, I, I'm not sure. I think unless you're... Because it seems like Braun is very much a transitional champion until Roman is able to come back. So if you're using Braze as a stopgap feud, then Braze probably going to have to lose. Uh, unless you want Braze 
win the title back because a lot of people thought Bray was probably going to lose to Roman anyway, and I don't think as many people were going to be as annoyed about that as they were about Goldberg being the Fiend. Because mm. <laughs> I'm not think, too sure. I think they were going. To, they were trying to use the Goldberg, the anger at Goldberg beating the Fiend to drum up support for Roman, another full-time member of the roster, taking the belt back from Goldberg. And I think that kind of backfired on because in the end they weren't able to do that because Roman eventually wasn't able to come to the show because he chose to stay at home because of his health issues and he didn't want to take any unnecessary risks. But the thing about this match is a lot of people were talking about this in the Bonier match, they're kind of lumping them both together because of the unique nature they were filmed. And there's this argument on Twitter, like, what did you like better, the Boneyard match or the Funhouse match? And uh, Brian Alvarez was very... I was actually surprised when I seen Alvarez being so, talking so highly of the Boneyard match and he, how much he liked it. Because I, I don't know if, he, if I've ever actually heard him say anything positive about anything main roster do. I've heard him say good stuff about NXT. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, I saw my thing of him talking about how much he loved the, the Pete Dunn-Matt Riddle partnership and everything like that. But like seeing him talk supposedly about something to do with main roster derby was a rarity. But then he talked about how he talked about suspension and disbelief and how there's only really two moments that he had to really suspend your disbelief in the Boneyard match. One was the fire being raised and the other was kind of the appearing behind AJ. But then he said how you can there are ways to explain why those two happened. And then he talks about He's basically talking about the idea of not being able to suspend belief during the Funhouse match and basically claiming it was too out there. But, like, this is... If you not watch the character of Bray Wyatt, like, he is basically a guy who has these two personas and he lives in this fictional world where where he can get away from his past mistakes. Like, he says... He, he refers to the Funhouse as his special place where the fun doesn't have to end. Like, it's this kind of world that he's created and he's brought Cena into it. And, like, I think wrestling does need a suspension of disbelief. And I think maybe some people are better doing it than others. And the thing that really pissed me off about Alvarez was, and I don't want to read too much in it, but it was kind of his tone when he was saying on his show, now, we said, if you like the Funhouse match, I'm happy for you. And the way he said it, like, sounded so condescending. But I'm like, fuck you. They are, they are like that. They're, Meltzer and, and Alvarez are sort of stuck in their own little bubbles and they think what they believe wrestling should be is right and everybody else is wrong. <clears throat> and I know, that's like you say, I think, they, I think it's almost perhaps meant to be in John Cena's head a little bit, I don't know. But it, the way it was done... Um, I'm able to suspend my sort of disbelief for it. It's just fun, and I don't. It's no worse than you know your Matt Hardy deletion matches and mm-hmm. other things. And you know what? You know what um, Impact did with the was it the Elton Undead Realm or, or whatever it was last year? And yeah. you know, a lot of people you know loved that. Didn't see a lot of negativity about that, and that's almost the same sort of principle going into a different world and strange and weird things happening so i don't know he's obviously got a problem with with, with, with something to do with wwe hasn't he i mean he talked about how there was a lot of nostalgia in this match with the references to smackdown and the doctor i think and then the nwo stuff that 
and he, I think he, in his mind, he was saying that he felt that because of nostalgia, that was a big part of people liking it. He says nostalgia can be a powerful like thing. Well, it can and, be, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And but then again, like not get nostalgia is not a guarantee that people will like things because like whenever you bring Goldberg and that back, can have them beating a South guy, not it doesn't always get a big a good reaction. It get, usually it gets more negativity than anything else. And I think, as I mentioned before, with the creativity and the fact that you can see there's still more for Wyatt to do with this character, that is a big part of it and how out there yeah. it was and not just the references, as good as they were. You can't just hang your hat and that's the only reason this people enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, the Funhouse segments have always been out there and apparently he's enjoyed those, so... I don't quite understand what his problem is. Perhaps he just didn't understand a lot of the references, and that's why he doesn't like it. Who knows? I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it. I, mean, I just want to focus on the idea that this match, it was great, uh, but I think it might have had an effect on uh, the main event, and I'll, I'll explain more why in a bit, but we had one match left after this, and it was the WWE Championship match of Drew McIntyre challenging Brock Lesnar for the WWE title, and it went about four minutes, I believe, the time of the four minutes, 35. It went, you know, hardly a surprise. I mean, Brock matches don't go that long anyway. It basically, they went at each other. Brock hits an F5. Drew kicks out at one, which... I thought it was a really good thing. But then he kept, when he hit his second and third F5, I was sitting there like, please kick out, kick out. And thankfully Drew kicked out. Uh, Drew had kicked, hit a Claymore before Brock's first F5, but Brock was able to get out pretty quickly. But then Drew hits a few more Claymores, and then Drew McIntyre becomes the first ever British-born WWE champion. And for me, it's a bit more special because Obviously, he's Scottish, so a Scottish wrestler becoming the first ever British-born WWE champion. Uh, It fills me with a lot of pride. I mean, there was that photo going around now that there are five Scottish-born champions. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. You got the coffee, uh, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang as the UK tag champs. You got Kayla Ray as the UK women's champion. You can't expect those because it's the UK brand, but then... Uh, over the course of the year, you had Nicky becoming one half of the tag champs. Yeah. And then you drew holding up the top title. I mean, do what you will about the Universal title. The WWE title is still the championship in WWE because it has that history behind it. Uh, I don't even know where to begin here because, well, first of all, do you, uh, what do you think about Drew being the first British champion? I think it's brilliant. I think it's well deserved. He's, he's, you know, he's got the look, the size, the charisma. You know, he is he is the complete package. Um, and I was hoping he was going to win it a, a bit earlier, a bit earlier in his career when uh, Roman had to retire. Uh, well, not retire, but step back because of his leukemia. I thought, right, this is your this is your, your chance. Put the the title on Drew, but he decided to go the Brock way. Um, perhaps it would have been better for Drew if you know there'd been proper mania of the crowd there, but it, it's still a big moment for him, it's still special, it still means something. And 
Drew is no longer Scottish, he is British. <laughs> like yeah, Andy Murray when he wins. I was going to say, he's the Andy Murray of, yeah. of WWE. <laughs> and you talk about him being the complete package, I mean, we talk about like Bulldog was a guy that a lot of people hang their hats on. Do They wanted him to be the, the champion because he was really the only British star they had for a while. And as big as a part of the company as it was at the time, when you look back at Bulldog, he was good in ring. For a guy of his size, he was he was more of a power guy than anything else. And promo-wise, he didn't always have the best promos. If anything, you see clips around Bulldog. It's when he fucks up in a promo. Uh, people remember it more like the time he yelled at the next time Rumble that he was going to win because, quote, he's bizarre. And he just yells that down the camera. <laughs> yeah. it, just, it wasn't the best at promo. And he wasn't always there for matches as well because he liked to get off his face on on drugs and whatnot, and it's telling that his best matches were with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, two of the best workers of all time in in my book. So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So, and Drew, I think, is somebody, not only is he from the UK, but he is a good wrestler, like, athletically, like, the speed he gets yeah. when he has to play more. Uh, he can go at the top occasionally. He can cut a decent promo. He's good, I think, as a face or a heel. Because like, there have been few people that have, are that much of a complete package between Bulldog and Drew. Like, you had Barrett for a while. A lot of people thought he was going to get it. Regal looked like he was set to win the title before some personal issues led him to get suspended. Because mm. Regal and Barrett, I think, were close enough to be in the, the, the perfect package. Barrett but, could have. I mean, that uh, bad news character was so over. I mean, he had a good build and he could certainly cut a promo. I mean, he's been excellent on commentary, I think, for um, NWA. So he he's someone who had the the package to to do it personally. Yeah, uh, like you said, if it was going to be anybody, I think it's good that it was Drew. Now, are you bothered by kind of the length of the match? Because I, I really wasn't, because I, I thought it was more so about, it's about the moment, it's about the fact that we yeah. have a British champion. The length of the match didn't bother me. What, what I do um, have a tiny little whinge about, and it's, it is nitpicking, it was almost um, shot for shot, um, Goldberg and Braun, both men hitting them, you know, both both men hitting numerous amounts of their finisher until one managed to win. They were booked a bit, a bit too similarly, perhaps. But no, um, I think I think it's good. It made Drew look strong, and um, um, as you say, Brock matches are never long anyway. And uh, a lot of people moan about Shane Baszler matches not being long, but you know these these people are sort of presented as killers so it doesn't make sense to have long matches they either beat you in short order or you manage to to get the victory out of them Mm -hmm. but another thing it really puts in it really shows you how big Drew actually is because he he towers well maybe not towers but he's definitely noticeably taller than Brock Lesnar he's such a big man isn't he Drew yeah and that's probably why it, he is a believable like I mean, obviously people were kind of getting sick of Brock mm. being in the top position, so they were fully buying Drew. But it's not just that; it's the fact that he is a believable contender because of his size and the fact that he yeah. fully 
realistically could probably manhandle Brock Lesnar because, and that's why we bought Nate Braun when Braun went up against him because Braun was another person who believably could just throw about Brock Lesnar on like most other people. I, I get your point about the uh, it's almost identical to the the Braun match. I, I've seen that. I can see that too, and I can get why people were annoyed about that, but. I, I would say that as I said Brock doesn't do long matches and Goldberg is in that, that same camp. Yeah. Like you see when they had their matches like twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, they didn't go very long and that's because that's the style that suits both guys. So when they're in in big matches they both they don't go that long and I think it's the fact that they both had big title matches within the same weekend that followed the similar format, it became yeah. even more possible. It's only a nitpick. I mean it doesn't doesn't kill the match or ruin the moment for me. It's just, it's just a, it's just doesn't nitpick I wanted to put out there. But yeah, I think Drew deserves. It's a, pardon me. It's a deserving champion, um, and he deserves a win. And I want to, I want to see him have a long run at least till Survivor Series, at least. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think like something that really annoyed me afterwards because I was like very happy to see Drew win because like I knew I'd lost the predictions, but like. The fun house match was great, and I thought, "What's well, this? Is the way you cap off the weekend? Like, make the right decision, put the belt on Drew, because there was the worry that they're going to keep the belt on Brock and give weight for Drew to win it when there was a crowd." I thought, "Like, crowd or not, this is the moment. Put it on nah. Drew." No, that it would have it would have totally killed because uh, I've heard Kenny McIntosh talk about it as well on Inside the Ropes, and he's had the same sort of dilemma. But um, I think I think it would have killed. Drew, if he'd have lost, he, he needed to, you know, he needed to win. Yeah, like, and the thing was, like, it happened, I was happy, and there's this group chat part of and, every, and everybody else in the group chat are all, like, Scottish, and obviously everybody was happy about it, but then there were people who were picking at the match, like, complaining again, like, the first time they complaining, so we pointed out that the fact that it was too short, and it was similar, and, like, the replies are coming in, and I'm saying, like, yeah, but it's about the moment that he's the champion now. We've got a Scottish champion, and then they were playing, like, oh, Brock's done a lot better with far worse wrestlers. Why can't you do more with Drew? But why was this so similar? And they're like, the struggle, and I'm like, God, this is really weighing on my enthusiasm here. You fucking, like, just be happy, people. Some like, people will literally complain about anything, and no matter what WWE or Vince does, there'll always be someone finding something to complain about. It just seems to be the way wrestling is now. I think the match is perfectly acceptable for what it was. I enjoyed it. It's good hard hitting. It's the sort of match you expect you want from two big men, to be honest. You don't you don't want two men there, you know, two power based men like them to work in a twenty minute match which would probably turn into a ball fest. This is you know, this is what you want. And I think Drew will have much better matches with uh, Different opponents. I don't. I'm, I'm not too sure who's going to be next for Drew, but I'll be. I'm interested I mean, to to find out. I mean, we don't know who's next now, but we knew who was next. Oh, yeah. After, after <laughs> Brock Lesnar, because as bizarre as it is to say, technically, and it's on the WrestleMania Wikipedia as a part of Night Two. Technically, WrestleMania for the first time I think ever had a dark match main event which actually went longer than the actual main event as Drew's cutting up. It was shown on Raw as Drew's cutting a promo in the ring, talking about how happy he is and like how he knows there's nobody in the building there, but he knows there are people around the world are supporting him. And uh, the, the big show comes out to confront 
Drew talking about how this is a big fan of the world and if Drew was any kind of man he would put the title on Big Show right then and there like a weird version of Hogan Yoko for, except it was the challenger challenging the champion and I'm like why the Big Show I mean it's almost as if he's got a really crappy looking sitcom coming out on Netflix <laughs> that he has to promote <laughs> he hasn't has he <laughs> It does look pretty awful, doesn't it, from the... Um... Yeah, yeah, and then I've also heard people moaning, oh, Drew being the typical dumb baby face accepting the challenge, but he didn't. He declined it at first, but if someone's going to slap you, I'm sorry, but, you know, you, you've you've got, you know, you've got to retaliate that, haven't you? It have looked a knob if you'd have been slapped and just walked away. That's not how baby faces uh, are supposed to act, so... You know, I, I think they covered their bases there with him refusing at first and then, you know, the slap being what pushed him over the edge. Um, it sort of gives you a good moment, you know. Drew beating, being able to beat the big show and slamming and that after, uh, you know, a, a match with Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it wasn't that bad of a match. I mean, it was random to see it happen after like, the May virus May had already happened. And maybe they're thinking, like, we don't know when we're actually going to get to have Drew make his next big defence. So, like, uh, they were talking about on Raw, they were hyping up the shocking footage. We're going to see what happened after Mina went off air. And uh, you thought either Brock went back in the ring and beat up Drew, they settled the rematch, or maybe someone like like Seth came out to set up as the first challenger. Like, the last person I was expecting was Big Show. And the more that I remembered that, I believe actually the Monday after the Monday after WrestleMania was the date where the issue was meant to go up on Netflix. Yeah. So that's kind of made a lot more sense. And the one good thing I've seen, I've not watched any of the episodes, but there is one clip that someone shared that looks semi-decent as randomly Mick Foley, Mark Henry and Rikishi getting together. They're hired by the Big Show to sing I Don't Want It That Way to Big Show and his wife. <laughs> he would like that. That's again some of your favourite things coming together. Yeah, uh, that I liked, and just the idea of randomly seeing like it's a show with a wrestler, and then another wrestler pops up. So instantly, that I get some reaction from me. But I don't know if I'm going to be in a rush to to watch that on Netflix at the moment. No, no, so, same here. But you know, depending on how this uh, isolation goes on, it might be forced down routes to watch things I wouldn't normally bother with. Yeah, you've, I think I've got enough entertainment to keep me going. Now. I've got Disney Plus uh, communities, all six yes. here <laughs> on Netflix, I've got that I can watch. And uh, if you're looking for entertainment, you've got Rogue Opinions to keep you occupied in uh, this current period of violence that we don't know how much longer it's going to last. And I think I don't really have much to say about this big show match, so I'm just going to end it there because I'm happy Drew's a champion. Fair enough, he's he's already beaten two kind of established former world champions. Uh, I hope long may this continue. And it's weird that technically, really, the people we have to really thank for this partly are BT Sport because when Drew started getting a lot of like screen time in the lead up to Rumble, people were saying that because of this big money deal with BT Sport, the part of the deal is they want a, a British or a UK-like competitor to be featured prominently, and that was allegedly partly because that's why Drew got 
his push. So you know, yeah, it you... might be part of it. But but I think I think they always I think Wood's always had an eye on him anyway. To be honest, I mean, Roman was going to go for the SmackDown main title, so uh, I, I don't know who else there was really to be pushed. Yeah. I, mean, I felt I felt like he was going to get pushed away, so I just felt like. He always sat there like, why are they holding off? What are they waiting for? And then I think BT Sport kind of encouraged him to kind of just yeah. go all in with it. Like, why not now? Because like, he had Brock as the champion and thankfully they weren't going to do another thing with him and fucking Cain Velasquez. So they decided, Let's, who's believable right now? As I said earlier, Drew is probably as believable as anyone to beat Brock. And he may, he'll probably lose the belt. He said probably run the virus or something like that. I'm hoping he's back in the title picture at WrestleMania next year so that basically he can have that moment where he reaches yeah. the belt in front I, of the crowd. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that for him, have him lose um, somewhere around Survivor Series so he can um, get, him, get himself back in the main event somehow and, and have a proper WrestleMania moment. They might, they might do that. Yeah, because they announced that WrestleMania is uh, going Hollywood once again next year for Mania 37. But, and then there's also talk that WrestleMania 38, the year after that, they are hoping to make a deal with Raymond James Stadium so they can go in WrestleMania 38 there to kind of make up for the fact that they didn't get mm. to do WrestleMania 36 there. Well, they, def- they definitely want it there at some point because you know, there's a lot of money to be made out of WrestleMania. So, yeah, it's looking like that could be a distinct possibility yeah I mean I think once Drew got in and also they announced May 37 because they always try to announce it a year in advance I think people were hoping that now that Drew was going to win the title that I think there were those out there that were hoping for the UK Wrestlemania I don't know if we'll get that I do think while Drew is in this main event seeing as long however long Drew's like I hope they don't like have give Drew this like spotlight for the next couple of years and then just bring him back down slowly I hope he like stays at the current level he's at, and I'm hopeful that while he's champion, if he loses it or whatever reign he's on, at some point there is a UK pay per view where it doesn't have to be one of the big four, just any like pay per view that's being held in the UK with Drew as the main. Mm. And I think with AEW teasing that they might be doing something in the UK within the next year because Tony Khan has that connection with I think Fulham, I think, or whatever it is. But I think if AEW starts to do it, then Daddy will suddenly say, Coming to you. <laughs> I can see him maybe doing SummerSlam, not not Mania, but maybe a SummerSlam or Survivor Series. I mean, they're often around, um, are, um, often around Britain and Europe around Survivor Series season, aren't they? So it probably wouldn't be too much of a stretch to to do Survivor Series over here when you usually bring in the roster over this that time of year anyway. Maybe uh, I think I think they could probably end up doing like kind of like when they went to Australia for that version of Super Showdown. I think at first what they might do is do a show like that in the UK. Yeah, because that's basically when we talk about these WWE shows and how like they don't really factor in in the card. It really is similar to how back in the nineties, early two thousand, they used to go to the UK twice a year, except they got paid a lot, lot, lot less money when they came to the UK as opposed to when they go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, I remember when they did One Night Only. That was their first big show in the UK for a, for a long time. And I was privileged 
to to have been able to go go to that oh. back in ninety seven, and that sort of kick started them doing like um, No Mercy and other uh, I can't remember all the names now other other their uh, other sort of biannual sort of mini little pay per views um, in the UK, which then turned into hosting Raw and SmackDown uh, twice a year. Yeah, that's lucky that you got to go there. And, uh, but I remember I got to go to Ron Smackdown in 2016, came to Glasgow in November and lead up to Survivor Series. I got to go to both, to both nights of that, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. But did you do any, did you do a rating at all for the first night of WrestleMania or anything? Did we, are we bother rating them? Uh, I can't even remember if we did do a rating or not because. I know we were talking about matches, match of the night, and I don't know if I should apply the same rules to the Firefly Funhouse that we did with the Boneyard match, because I think out of everything, despite like, how happy I am that Drew won, I think overall the Funhouse match is my favourite thing, but as you were talking about earlier, if you were going to talk about purely wrestling-based in-ring, you can't not have Charlotte and Ripley as your match of the night. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Entirely for me, Firefly Funhouse Angle segment, however you want to refer to it, it's not not really a match. Probably is the the thing of the night. But yeah, from a purely wrestling spec, um, standpoint, match of the night is probably Charlotte and uh, Rhea Ripley for me. And overall, I'd, I'd give this mania eight, an eight out of ten. Uh, I think they pulled off an amazing show under the circumstances, and you know. You can't really knock it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you could if you found like something to nitpick at, but like, I get why these weren't the circumstances we all wanted it to be under. But I think, given the circumstances, they they did enough over both nights. To, it won't be, hopefully, it won't be remembered as one of the worst WrestleManias, but it probably won't be remembered as one of the best either. It'll probably be somewhere in the middle. And people like can yeah. stop it. I remember that time they did two nights of mania in front of no fans. It certainly had. I mean, it might have lacked a bit of spectacle, but it certainly had better matches than Wrestle likes of WrestleMania Nine or WrestleMania Eleven, which were complete damp squibs. So um, I definitely think it it holds up better than those do from a quality of match standpoint, if nothing else. Yeah, I think I'd give it somewhere between like maybe a seven and a half, maybe a ten, something like that, because uh, like you said, there was enough there to enjoy. I think, and yeah. uh, and they also said that this is you get hyped up. The only WrestleMania two big were one night, so I wouldn't get your hopes up about them doing a two night WrestleMania no. anytime soon, if ever again. Probably not. No, I think it'd be nice them to think about it, but. They probably won't. And I like the fact they used the fact that um, the circumstances forced them to have no fans and empty arenas to their advantage and do different stuff like the bone the boneyard match in the Firefly Funhouse, which they might not necessarily have done quite like they did in, in normal circumstances. Probably not, because like fans, if you're paying to be see wrestling live in the arena. Really, the last thing you want is to be looking up at the mm. the screen. Exactly. So yeah, I I, I can I probably doubt that they would have done this in front of no in front 
of like a fans. I think they would just had a regular match. Like, it wouldn't have really hurt AJ versus Taker because they could have had a, like a, a match like similar to when Taker took on like the Shawn Michaels. But I think uh, it's you know why we've seen them in a straight up match before. I think they needed something different. Yeah. Definitely, but yeah, I I thought I enjoyed the show, and I know it's had its slight problems with like the Miss, um, Dana Brooke, and hope they're all all hope they're all all right and recover and whatnot, and Roman having to pull out, but yeah, I'm glad it went ahead, and uh, I think they did all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. Uh, so be sure to let us know what you thought of WrestleMania at Rogue underscore Finian on. Twitter. Be sure to look back to the archives. Our night one review, me and Nathan, as I mentioned before, uh, went up a couple of days ago. We've got a lot of podcasts out there. The Banter Banter Munich podcast, I believe. I, I don't know anything about football, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did a quiz night one not too long ago. We're hoping to do another quiz, but with Nathan out of commission, that, that might not happen. Um, for a few days yet now, so we'll just have to see. Maybe we've, we've got that. The, we've got that. Potentially the quiz. We've got the mania review. As I said, we've got uh, the year is Nathan. He's, he's done episodes with Carl. He's done one with Rahul. And uh, hopefully by the time this is up, uh, the episode me and him recorded with the year I was born uh, should be up soon. And we've got a lot of great stuff in the archives. Talk about UK pay-per-views. I mean. Me, Jimmy, and Rahul reviewed Rebellion 1999 uh, on the archives, which was in the UK. So, you know, if you want an a example of what the UK pay-per-views were like, go back and check that out. Is that the one where Rahul didn't really watch it properly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, there's a lot of good stuff there. You can stay tuned to my social media at Scott or my other podcast at SP Rambling. Uh, you can stay tuned to those social media because we don't have an exact day on when we're going to do the punishment podcast. We're going to try our best to get out sooner rather than later. But, you know, circumstances being what they are, it could take a while. But as much as we will we'll try, we try to avoid it, we'll, we'll, we are going to have to just button down and just do the punishment. But, Carl, <laughs> anything else do I plug? Uh, yeah, you can uh, find me at Carlos underscore fire89 on Twitter and Instagram. And it's. Um, Scott says there's loads of in our back catalog. There's even podcasts on Doctor Who if you fancy that sort of thing. I think some of you covered uh, Disney Plus. There's episodes of Kayfabe Court out there as well. So dig in. There's bound to be something you like. Yeah, Nathan uh, did a special on Disney Plus with uh, Ben as part of the the Naked Men podcast. Yeah, they they tend to talk about so many weird kind of subjects on that podcast that's worth checking out yes <laughs> but, uh, uh, other than that there's nothing left really to say other than to say thank you to Carl for joining me uh, in, in place of Nathan yep thank you for, for having me and a bit of a last minute replacement but I, I did what I could yeah and I enjoyed having you here and we hope you enjoy listening to our view of WrestleMania uh, so until next time we'll see you later bye now <laughs>